We're going to be looking at two passages in the book of Titus. Titus was a young understudy of the Apostle Paul assigned to the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. He was sent there to help appoint elders and to get that church off the ground. He also was writing a letter to the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And today we're going to be focusing on God's amazing grace. And I'd like to read for you, beginning in Titus 2, verse 11. Here's what Paul wrote as Titus went to begin and help establish that church. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray together. Father, for an old sinner like me, I have to confess that there are times, especially on days of communion, when I'm reminded that apart from your grace, there's no way I could ever be saved. I can never be religious enough. I can never be good enough. I can never do the right things. I was powerless. We all were. We all are without you. And we're reminded today of an amazing grace that offers salvation to those who believe. Would you help us today to come to this table with sincere and grateful hearts. Today in this room and today listening online, there are those who still need to trust Jesus as their Savior. There are those who have drifted away who need to come back in true repentance. There are others who are here today simply to thank you, and they're seeking to walk with you as faithful as they know how. Wherever we are today, God, lift up your Son, Let us see your grace and help us to remember. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a baseball fan and you are old enough to remember, there was a very unusual season in 1994 and 95. The players went on strike in both the major and minor leagues. As the spring of 1995 came, the owners were wanting to put players on the field, but they had no players. They were all on strike. So what they did was they opened the door for people to come and play baseball in the major leagues. Remember, fans could go and watch these people. The week before, they'd been Little League baseball coaches, and this week they're wearing Red Sox uniforms. People were paying a dollar to go to the game to watch these things. It was quite a season. Max Lucado, in his book, The Grip of Grace, remembered that season. He, He wrote this about it. The games weren't fancy, mind you. Line drives rarely reached the outfield. One manager said his pitchers threw the ball so slowly the radar gun couldn't track it. (laughs) 
It was a popular saying to say that a fan could shell a dozen peanuts in the time it took for a relay throw to come in from the outfield to home plate. The players huffed and puffed. They were clearly out of shape, but boy, were they having fun. In fact, they said the diamond was studded with guys who played the game for the love of the game. It wasn't classy, Lucetta wrote. You missed the three-run homers and the frozen rope pickoffs, but that was forgiven for the pure joy of seeing some guys play who really enjoyed the game. What made them so special? It was simple. They were living a life they knew they didn't deserve. These guys didn't make it to the big leagues on skill. They made it on grace. They weren't picked because they were good. They were picked because they were willing, and they knew it. These guys were playing with such joy, they would shake the hands of the umpires and thank them for playing the game. They would thank the people working in the clubhouse who were catering for them. They would go around thanking the fans. They said after some of the games, there was a longer line to sign autographs than there were willing people to receive the autographs. Now, one time did you read an article about the replacement players arguing over poor pay. There was no jockeying for position, no second guessing, no strikes, no lockouts, no walkouts. These guys didn't even complain because their names weren't stitched on the back of their jerseys. They were just happy to be on the team. Max Lucado asked in that book, shouldn't we be as well? Aren't we in reality a lot like these players when it comes to our relationship with God? We're all living a life we don't deserve. We aren't good enough to get picked by God or anyone else, but look at us, suited up and ready to play. We aren't skillful enough, he said, to make the community softball league, but our names are on the greatest roster of all time. Do we deserve to be here, he asked? No. But will we trade the privilege? Not for the world. For if Paul's proclamation is true, he wrote, God's grace has placed us on a dream team beyond imagination. That's what Paul was reminding Titus of and what he was writing about to the Ephesians. When he said, as he did in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The doors are open. We're free to come. Grace is unmerited favor. It is not denial of wrongs done or sins committed. It doesn't minimize the offenses or mitigate the penalties. Grace is God giving us what we know we don't deserve. Grace is God giving us what God knows we don't deserve and couldn't earn. Grace is providing the payment for those who could not pay. It is providing help for those who are powerless to help themselves. You've heard it said, God helps those who help themselves. People, that's not true. The opposite of that is true. God helps those who know they are powerless to help themselves. It's the gift of God that offers salvation. And that's the grace we're remembering today in communion. If you've been here before, you know communion is a very special time. Communion is a time when we are remembering who Jesus is and what he's done. It's a time when we are reminded that we are powerless to do anything to save ourselves, but we have a God who loves us, who's done all that we need. 
This is a memorial. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We've shared many times that eating this will not make you a Christian. This won't get your sins forgiven. This won't earn you any grace. It won't get you into heaven. The only way to be saved from what sin has done to separate us from God is by coming into our relationship with God through faith in the completed work of Jesus at the cross who paid there for our sins, removing that barrier and bringing us and offering us this salvation. Eating this meal won't do that for you. But eating this, as Jesus asked, reminds us of the seriousness of sin, of the depth of our guilt, the punishment we deserved, and that God has done the unthinkable. He sacrificed his innocent son to pay the penalty for our sin and has invited us into relationship with him. How could he do all this? It's grace. Amazing grace. And communion reminds us that salvation is offered to all people by God's amazing grace. How do we accept this offer? Paul told the Ephesians, we accept this offer by faith. The offer of salvation by grace belongs to everyone who accepts it by faith. Paul told Titus in chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. People, today it's very important that we remember that trying to earn salvation apart from grace or faith is impossible. It's impossible, as impossible, as trying to swim from California to Hawaii. Now, I've shared this illustration before because I can't think of a better one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment 500 people lined up on the shore of California accepting an offer of $1 million to every person who can swim from California to Hawaii. doesn't matter if you're first or dead last. If you make it, you're going to get the million dollars. It's for everybody who makes the swim. Now, in the crowd on the beach are Olympic swimmers like Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky. In the crowd, there are professional athletes who are in very good shape. There are high school swim team members, local dignitaries, business people, homemakers, a broad cross-section of people. They know the distance is long. It's over 2,500 miles. The swim is hard, but it's $1 million to everyone who finishes. The whistle blows, they run down the beach, and they dive in. It's not long until those who are weak and out of shape get hammered by the pounding surf, and they succumb. They don't get 100 yards. The high school swim team members, some of the athletes in great shape, they go a bit further. They get a mile out, maybe two. Some make it even five. The Olympic swimmers, these swim champions are amazing. They go 10 miles. Some of them float on their back, kick their feet to rest, and they make it 20. A couple of the best who are in great condition make it 50. But eventually, they all succumb exhausted. And they need to be rescued. Because you see, it's impossible for a human being to swim to Hawaii. The distance is just too great. If you think swimming to Hawaii is hard, 
try getting to heaven on your own. You'll never make it. Hawaii is next door compared to the distance that sin has created between God and man. Man cannot bridge that gap alone. It's impossible. The distance is just too great. Paul told the Romans in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He told the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. God is life. To be separated from God in any way is the very definition of death. Sin has separated from God. All of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. If we die with that sin still in our lives, it'll separate us from God forever. You will not have life. You'll have eternal death. That's why you need a plane or a boat to get you to Hawaii. That's why you need a savior to bring you to God. Paul told Titus in the Ephesians that it was God's grace, the grace that was demonstrated in the cross, a grace that we accept by faith that saves us. That's why he told him in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not from ourselves. It's by grace through faith. I used to share this with my mom all the time. She kept telling me, Larry, I believe in God. But there's a few things I've got to do. And I would say, Mom, it doesn't work that way. I know you believe in God, Mom. I know you've been a great mom. I know you used to babysit the pastor's kids. I know you went to church when you were little. I know you got baptized when you were a baby, and I know now you're doing the best you think you can, but you need to understand, Mom, all those things aren't going to get you there. You can be the most religious person on the face of the earth and be lost to God because you're trying to get there on your own merits. You have got to come to God by faith in the grace he's offering and the work that Jesus has done at the cross. I shared that message with my mom for over 20 years years and shortly before her death she finally by God's grace accepted the offer and stopped trying to save herself and Jesus Christ came and saved her people I don't know where you're at today or what you're trying to do to earn God's favor or get your eternity secure but you can't do it on your own efforts God has made an offer of grace And if you will accept it by faith and invite Christ into your life, you'll be saved. You can't save ourselves, but that doesn't stop people from trying. You ever hear people trying to do it by the comparison method? Oh, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm not as bad as some other people. Or I go to church, I pray to prayer, I teach in Sunday school. And? Or good works, I'm a good person, I give to the poor, I'm fair, I'm honest. Max Lucado wrote in his book, In the Grip of Grace, man has inflated his balloon with his own hot air and hasn't been able to leave the atmosphere. 
Our pleas of ignorance are inexcusable. Our comparisons with others are impermissible. Our religious merits are unacceptable. And the conclusion is unavoidable. Self-salvation simply does not work. Man has no way to save himself. But God has a way. And people, you know it's good news for an old sinner like me? Seriously. Just as no one is good enough to save themselves, neither is anyone so bad they cannot be saved. So I'm telling you, man, if God's evaluating on our badness and our own merits, there's no way I'm in. No way I'm in. But when I stopped trying to earn it and said, God, I accept it, things changed. That's why Paul told Titus, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Titus 2.11. It's appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. You remember when John was writing in his great gospel in John chapter 1? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, verse 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the appearing. Paul told Titus, the grace of God has appeared. It has appeared in the person of his Son. God's done all this. Max Lucado once wrote, please note, salvation is God-given, God-driven, God-empowered, God-originated. The gift is not from man to God. It's from God to man. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us in sending his Son to be the way to take away our sins. John Stott, the great commentator, wrote in his commentary on Romans, on the basis of this point alone, Christianity is set apart from any other religion in the world. Stott wrote, no other system, ideology, or religion proclaims a free forgiveness and a new life to those who have done nothing to deserve it, but deserve judgment instead. Every religion in the world has this in common except Christianity. It's all about works. It's all about what you have to do, what you have to accomplish, who you have to appease in order to be saved. Christianity is totally different. You can do nothing. God has done it all, and he offers this as a gracious gift to those who will receive it by faith. John MacArthur once wrote in his commentary on Romans, as far as the way of salvation is concerned, there are only two religions the world has ever known or ever will know. The religion of divine accomplishment, which is biblical Christianity, and the religion of human achievement, which includes all other kinds of religion by whatever names they may go under. Lucado in his book, The Grip of Grace, said every other approach to God is a bartering system. If I do this, God will do that. I'm either saved by works what I do, emotions what I experience, or knowledge what I know. But by contrast, Christianity has no whiff of negotiation at all. Man is not the negotiator. Indeed, man has no grounds from which to negotiate. Salvation is offered as a gift of grace. That's why Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Or as Peter said in Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And there's urgency to this. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The offer is made. Don't miss it, Paul said. This is grace. Now is the time to receive it. Tomorrow's promise to no one. If you know you're a sinner and that Christ is the only way, then stop trying to earn this and accept the offer of salvation and grace. Today is the day of salvation. How can I know if I've already accepted, if I'm really saved by his grace? Paul said, you'll become a very different person. You're going to start saying no to things you used to say yes to. You're going to have a different perspective. You're going to have a desire like a replacement player in the major leagues that suddenly, I don't deserve to be here. This is a gas. I can't believe God has done this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good people this salvation is offered by grace to everyone It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or religious or how great your sins have been. We all come by grace, so we don't come at all. You know, one of the greatest illustrations of this I ever read was by an old preacher named Harry Ironside. Harry Ironside uh, came to Christ uh, in the latter part of the 1800s. He died in 1951. He had many, many accomplishments. He was pastor of one of the largest churches in America, Moody Bible Church in Chicago. He preached 7,000 sermons in his career to over one and a quarter million people who heard the gospel through him. He impacted so many lives they lost track. He wrote books. He wrote in commentaries. Harry Ironside. Amazing thing is he never got past eighth grade in his education. He knew all the time that everything that happened to him was purely by God's grace. And so he told about God's grace everywhere he went. One of the favorite stories he used to tell was about a pastor in England. He would never give his name for some reason. About how this pastor in England had drifted away from the gospel. He was just social gospel stuff. He wasn't preaching Christ. He wasn't living it. He didn't even believe the Bible anymore. But he still had his church, like so many around the world. People just go, but it's not about Jesus. He was telling about how this English pastor one day was getting ready to go to bed. There was an awful storm outside. When downstairs, he heard a knock on his door. He went down, he opened it up, and a little girl was standing there, dripping wet. And she says to him, are you the minister? Well, yeah, he said, I am. Well, won't you come and get my mother in, she said. The pastor said, why? I was just about to retire. Besides, it's hardly seemly for me to go out and get your mother in. If she's drunk, you can get a policeman to get her in. He's got raincoats on. He's prepared for the storm. 
She said, you don't understand. My mother's not out in the storm. She's not drunk. She's at home. She's dying. She's afraid to die. She's afraid she's going to be lost forever, and she wants to go to heaven, but she doesn't know how. And so I told her I would run and get a minister. So the guy asked where she lived, and he told him about a district, the red light district. And he said, I, I can't go down there tonight. It would be all my reputation is worth to be seen with a girl like you in a district like that in the middle of the night. I can't go. And he thought to himself, as the preacher of this great and important church, what would my people think if this got into the paper? So he said to the girl, I'll tell you what you do. You go down and get the man who's running the rescue mission. He'll be glad to help you. He said, I felt ashamed, but it was my reputation I had to protect. He may be a good man, she said, but I don't know him. And my mother wants a real minister. I want you to come and get her in. Come quickly. She's dying. He said, I couldn't stand the pleading in her eyes. So I said, very well, I'll come. He went upstairs, got his raincoat on, and left. The girl led him down through the city into a slum district, into an old house, up a rickety stairway, along a long hall, into a little room. And there lay her mom. I've gotten the preacher of the biggest church in the city, Mom. He'll get you in. He didn't want to come, but he's come. You tell him what you want and do just what he tells you to do. The woman looked up and said, Sir, can you do anything for a poor sinner? Pastor thought, all my life I've been, I've been, or for most of my life I've been preaching there was a salvation apart from all of this. And the woman said to him, all my life I've been a wicked woman. I'm going to hell and I don't want to go there. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. Tell me what I need to do. The pastor said, I stood there looking at this woman. I thought, what am I going to tell her? I've been preaching to my own church, salvation by character, by ethical culture, by reformation. And I thought, I can't tell her about salvation by character. She hasn't any. I can't tell her about salvation by ethical culture. There's no time for culture. And I can't tell her about salvation by reformation. She's too far gone. And then it came to me, why not tell her what your mother used to tell you? She's dying, it can't hurt her, even though it does her no good. And so I said to her, my poor woman, God is very gracious. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. She said, does it say that in the Bible? My, this ought to help me get in. But sir, my sins, what about my sins? And he said it was amazing how quickly the verses started coming back to him. Things I had learned years ago, he said, but I never used. And I said to the woman, quoting John 1, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse you from all sin. All sin, she said. Does it really say the blood will cleanse me from all sin? That ought to get me in. He quoted from 1 Timothy 11. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he said, of whom I am the worst. Well, she said, 
if the worst of sinners got in, I can come. Pray for me. Pastor said, I knelt down and I prayed with that poor woman. She came into Christ that night. And while I was getting her in, I got myself in. Because I realized there we were, two poor sinners, the minister and the dying harlot, the pastor and the prostitute. And we were both saved together that night by grace in that little room. But the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And when you believe, you ask Jesus to save you. Not because of things you have done, but because of his grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul said it was our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. A sacrifice of amazing grace that we're remembering today at this meal. This bread is my body, this cup is my blood, he said. It's given for you. And therefore, whenever you eat it, remember, you're living a life you don't deserve. You ought to be living it like a bunch of replacement players in Major League Baseball. You ought to be living it with joy. Because this is no dream. What Jesus has done is real. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this. Whether we see ourselves today as the worst sinner that's ever been or the best sinner that's ever been, we're still sinners in need of a Savior. I'm so grateful today for the grace that has offered us this salvation. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, God, be honored as we remember. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.